Welcome, everybody, to another podcast here with Classical Musicians Roundtable. Today we are joined by fabulous singer, fabulous human being, Tamara Wilson. Tammy, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. And thank you for that really nice intro. <laughs> of course. So you are you are in Houston right now. That's where you live. And you've been there the whole quarantine, right? Yeah, pretty much. I was in Toronto when quarantine happened. And so... Uh, like right when everything started shutting down, I came back down here. So yeah, I've been down here since March. Longest I've ever been anywhere since my young artist days. Wow. Also in Houston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. That must be so different for you. Yeah. Although it's really nice. Like, uh, I had somebody ask like, what are some like good things that have come out of quarantine for you? And I was like, I've been sleeping in my own bed for almost a year, and that <laughs> never happens. Imagine that. I know, right? Yeah. So so Tammy and I met, actually, uh, at the Houston Grand Opera last season, working on a production of Aida, in which we both played crucial roles. Tammy, of course, was Aida, and I was the assistant conductor. So uh, about the same there, I would say. Totally the same level. <laughs> totally. Totally the same level. Um, so on this uh, on this podcast... You know, one of the things we try to talk a lot about uh, is sort of the intersection of our private lives, especially with respect to mental health, um, and our public lives as performers, as people like you who who get on stage, you know, in front of thousands of people and, and you know, play a character. Um, and so one thing I'm really curious about is, you know, over the course of your years in school, in a young artist program and now being on the professional scene. Um, how do you think the way that we approach those issues and talk about them and, and relate to each other, you know, with respect to, to those private issues of mental health has changed or how do you think it has stayed the same? I think it is changing. It's, it's definitely different from when I was in college to now. Like I, I would get into like an emotional situation and people would be like, never let anyone see you cry. That was always like a never show that anything's affecting you. And I took that to heart for a very long time. So much so that like, I wouldn't cry for like years. And it was, yeah, it was something that was kind of never show your weakness. Always show that you're a confident singer. And, um, the like, the effect of that meant that I was holding on to so many emotions internally that it would get to the point where if I were so, so stressed in like a job or a competition or something, I would hit a wall and I'd actually have to like break in order to feel what I was actually trying to feel for like years. And um, yeah, like, my first couple of years out, it wasn't that big of a deal. I I kind of handled the stress okay. <laughs> At least I thought I did. And then um, I want to say after my 30th birthday, I was doing a, an Aida in Chile. And it was, it was a stressful time, not just for like the show, but um, like there was some rioting going on by our hotel at the time so like I would get tear gassed on the way to work 
So it was a whole oh, wow. bunch of things kind of coming together. Yes. And then my mom came down to like, she didn't want me to be alone on my 30th birthday. And so I had like mom staying with me while I was doing a show in the same hotel room. So it was a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is what real stress is. And then, yeah, after that show, slow. Oh, and there was an earthquake. Oh, man. (laughs) Adding insult to injury. (laughs) Exactly. So I was like, okay, well, what else could go wrong? Um, So I just kind of got used to that being what my job was, what my normal Mm. was. And it got to the point where if I were somewhere singing and it was a new place that I'd never sung before, I was golden because I didn't have any expectations on me. I could just go and sing and do my job and do what I love to do. And when I started to get hired back at places, there was always this like, oh, we're so happy you're back kind of thing in in my own head. I'm a perfectionist. And every time I'd come back, I'd be like, I have to be 100% better than I was here last time. And so I started putting more and more pressure on myself, whether it was just in my brain or, you know, external is up for debate. Um, But yeah, like that became really, really hard to handle. And uh, it got to the point where I went to do like, I won the like announcement of the Tucker award. Right. And I was in my bedroom I was here, right behind that, like armoire, like on the floor with like my mom and my sister were helping me like pick out clothes. And I was just like, I started to cry. And my mom's like, why are you crying? And I was like, if I'm not good enough, my career's over. And if I am good enough at this concert, like, then I have to be good. And it it turned into like a whole thing. And that was like one of the first times I had like a, I would say mini panic attack. And then I had a real panic attack. And I was doing, um, it might've been a year or so after that. I did a Benjamin Britten's, um, Albert Herring in Toulouse, which was a place that I'd sung many times before. I love the house. I love the people there. And so I had no reason to be stressed, like none. Like it was fun. Um, and I literally, like we had an opening night party and all of a sudden I just felt like, you know what? I'm going to die right now. Like literally it was like, oh, something's wrong. Something is not normal. And I went to like the bathroom and I was in the bathroom for like an hour and a half. I had like a drop sweat. I, I like felt like my heart was pounding outside of my chest. And like, I was like, should I go to the hospital? I was like, I don't know if this is a hospital thing or if like what was happening. And then, um, I like slept for the next three days until my next show. Like I was, my body was done. So Yeah. Stress kind of came in increments and then came to a head. And um, had I known in school what were little kind of inklings of stress um, and started working on them then. And then this 
instead of trying to like power through or pretend that I could be okay, like it got worse. And I know yeah. I tangented a lot. No, it's fine that you, we're here to listen to you. Um, I mean, there's so much to unpack in there. I, oh, yeah. I, I always find it so bizarre that in this profession in which, you know, people are on stage, you know, in the most dramatic emotional contexts, we don't allow the human beings themselves to be like that when they're not on stage. Nope. You know, we have this insane double standard of when you're on stage, you must be 500% emotional. And when you're not, you can't even be 100% emotional. Well, you can't even be angry. Like you can't, you can't have a bad day. I noticed it might not be the same for everyone, but I always felt like if I was not smiley and cheery every moment of every day, people would be like, what's wrong? Why aren't you happy? And that kind of made me realize that I was acting much more off stage than I was on stage. Wow. Like on stage, I could feel free because I'm out there doing like, unless somebody like jumped on the stage and stopped, stopped the show, like I, nothing can stop me from expressing, right? Like that, that's my time to like be totally free and what I feel is normal. Like for me, performing is much less stressful than the actual other parts of life. Mm. Like everybody's always like, are you nervous when you sing in front of like thousands of people? I was like, oh, heck no. But if you put me in front of like four people who know me really well and I have to sing. It's right. the worst that's, what make, that's what makes you nervous. Oh my God. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. So how has your relationship with that like evolved over your career? I mean, I totally, you know, what you were saying before about, you know, the more success you achieve in your career, the more you sort of work yourself into this catch 22 of either you're not good enough or you are good enough. And then next time, therefore, you won't be good enough. So, so how have you learned, uh, or have you learned, you know, to, to deal with that and to be able to sort of not act when you don't have to act? Part of it came with just like growing up. And I, I will say this, that there is a certain privilege to when you do start to have a certain amount of success. And like, I, I would call me like middle of the road success. I'm like, you know, I'm not like... Okay, sure. But like for me, that's how sure. I, I view things. But like I would always feel that people would wait for you to get to a certain point and then like want to tear you down because you got to mm-hmm. that certain point. So there's that pressure, there's the own oh, like self-perfectionist pressure. Like when I was in the um Music Grand Opera studio, there were four people in my class and we all kind of, we were a major clique and we um, made each other t-shirts and gave each other nicknames. And my nickname was Overachiever Diva. (laughs) And at the time I was like, heck yes, I'm proud of this. And then now I'm just like, oh, that might not have been a compliment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But it's just one of those things where I, there's pressure from the people who are hiring you because they want you to have a good product and sell tickets and blah, blah, blah. So you have to please them. There's uh, your fans 
who mm-hmm. like you is that you have to please them. Um, you have to please your teacher, your voice teacher. You have to please your coaches. You have to please the conductor. You have to please the assistant conductor. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. You're welcome. That's a really hard spot. Like, I do not envy you guys. That's a hard spot to be in. Because it's like, <laughs> I have a modicum of power, but like not totally all the power. It's a hard place to be. I feel you. Uh, yes. Thank you. So, it is yeah. a fine line to walk, but keep going. Yes. No. Um, yeah. It's just so having all that pressure. The one thing I did when I started to realize that it was affecting me, I started asking older singers. I was like, has this been something you've dealt with or and it was always privately. It was never like, let's talk about this in rehearsal. Never. Um, and I'd ask, you know, how do you deal with a conductor who obviously doesn't like your voice and didn't hire you, the intendant hired you, you know, like, and there's that power dynamic. How do you deal with those kinds of things? And in talking to the older gals, I realized that they'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, it was literally like, go to your job, do it well, and don't let the other stuff bother you. Because there's always going to be some kind of shenanigan, right? It's always. Absolutely. That's just how artists yeah, are. It's, that's the business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I started to realize that, and I, I asked Joyce Donato once, I was like, at what point do you become your own artist? And she was like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> I was like, because I always feel like I have to please everybody. Like, you know, don't make a mistake. Always sound good. Always be in the resonance. Yeah, just oh, be a better actress. Um, don't even think of trying to be bigger than you are weight-wise. Like, there's so many things that I was, like, tampering myself down with that I always felt uh, inadequate in, in all ways. Not just, it used to be singing was the one thing I knew I could do. Mm-hmm. And then I became a singer. And it slowly but surely, like, I was like, oh, maybe I can't do this. Or prime example, prime example. I was doing, I stepped in for somebody for the Oregon Bach Festival to do Verdi Requiem. This very early in my career. And I'd never really sung it before, but I did it in that performance. And it went well. Like, it was a good performance. And um, maybe a few years later, two or three or four, I got invited back to do another Verdi Requiem. And, you know, there's folks in the chorus there who I love and adore, and they're great friends. But, like, we got to the first rehearsal, and one of them was like, I can't wait to hear that high floaty B-flat or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, I I have to do that well. And I was like, I have to do it as well as I did it last time. Mm. And then I got to that point, and it wasn't perfect. And I was like, and I, like, internally raged for days. Um. And I don't know if that would have happened had I not put that pressure on myself to actually do that, you know? Um, so, here's a, so here's a question. Yeah. Because the better, you, the, you know, it is, I think, right and good that the better you get, the higher the standards get. That's, that's how we get better at anything. Um, where's that line, though, you know, between, yes, you want to hold yourself to a higher standard. Of course you do. Everyone does. And I, I assume that you are someone, because I know you, that, that, you know, however much pressure 
you have felt from whatever outside sources in your life compares, you know, pales, pales in comparison to the pressure that you feel from yourself. And I, and I think that's true, you know, of a lot of very motivated, you know, hardworking driven people. And so how do you find that, you know, that line between wanting to be better and also like, you know, loving what you can do in the moment, even if it's not perfect? Really, really good question. Like, um, when, when I would start to feel that like anxiety raise up, uh, I would tell myself before I got on stage that I would always go, the worst thing that could happen is that you die on stage, but it won't matter anymore because you'll be dead. So like the feelings that I'm feeling right now, <laughs> that's, that's how I calm myself down. Yeah, um, absolutely. Cause I'm a, I'm a worst case scenario person. Anyway, I plan for all the disasters. Um, like if I gave myself that mindset before going out, I, I could go out and do my job. Um, a lot of times while I'm singing, I'll tell myself, um, just be in the moment, just be in the music and communicate what you're saying. That helps me too. So then I don't think about like all the other stuff. Mm. Um, but again, it's like, that's not the part that bothers me as much. It's, it's more the prepping to do something like going for the first day of rehearsal. Yeah. And like, that's where I put that, like, because rehearsals and everything, like, that's my favorite part of our job. I love it so much. And getting to the point where you're, you've rehearsed a show enough to do the show. Best part of my job. I love it. It's the preparing a role and making sure that it's like seal of approval when I get on the first day, that's where my anxiety really grow, goes through the roof. Like I'm doing a recital, a prepping recital right now. And, um, instead of just saying back in the day when I would learn things, we're just going to learn this music and love it and be amazing. Like I'm literally looking at phrases going, how do I make this better than anyone who's ever sung it before ever? Like I put that kind of pressure on me, which is wow. so stupid. It's so stupid. And I know it's stupid, <laughs> but like my body doesn't know it's stupid. Right. So I, I, I feel that. And like coupled with anxiety, I've had depression my whole life that was unchecked until this past year. So I would go through really long bouts of not being motivated to do anything. And so when I'm learning stuff, I learn stuff very procrastinated anyway. So adding mm. that to that would always be the anxiety like, oh, you should have learned this two years ago. And that's why you suck at this. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So you've, so you've, so you have told me that you, you know, you, that you are someone who sort of needs a deadline, you know, yeah. you need a performance coming up, you need a rehearsal coming up. That's, that's, what's going to, you know, kick you to, to get in there and learn the music. So, you know, before you, you know, started getting better with your depression, um, how did, how did that work? You know, was it sort of, you would do nothing until, you know, until you were so anxious that all of a sudden you had to do something. I mean, what was that like? Yep. That's exactly what happened. I always, I always dread when like young singers are like, how long does it take you to prepare a role? And I'm like, Oh, you really don't want to know. Cause it's not like a good thing to emulate. Um, 
No, I I tend to when I get a role, like if it's one year or two years out, I'll look through it and mm-hmm. kind of mini learn it. But I, I'm one of those people who I focus so hard on one thing at a time. Um, like it takes all my attention and energy. Um, so if I'm trying to sing um, a, like Ernani uh, and it's a new role and I have something after that that's also a new role, I can't like I can't do it because it's it's too much. You get to space. both. Yeah. 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 So I'll I'll cram. I'll, I'll do certain things like I, I do my table work and my homework very early on. Um, so like all my translations, phrasing, um, printing it out in the libretto and kind of doing character work like that stuff, not a problem. But the actual sitting down and learning the notes. I learned this later that once I start learning it, it becomes real. And when it becomes real, that's when my anxiety decides to be the little bitch that she is and goes, well, you know, three years ago, Sandra Abnaski sang this there and you're not as good as her. You can't do this that way. Like the audience is like, I'm already saying the audience is going to hate me when I start learning the role, which is horrible and it feels awful. Um yeah so by the time I actually get to performance that whole period of time is me convincing myself that I know what I'm doing wow Uh (laughs) uh-huh and I don't think like professionals talk about it as often like you you see the the diva veneer of oh they're you know they're jet setting they're doing all this stuff and I think people forget that like we're real humans and we have Oh normal God. real lives like absolutely this is the first time i put makeup on in months you know for <laughs> so thank you for that i was like oh, we're honored reason, we're honored yes i have a reason to look like i'm put together well like yesterday this room was a mess and i had you know my hair up in the bun of <laughs> quarantine and just yeah it's well it's i'm a weird i'm impressed I'm impressed that your room is as clean as it is. That's why you can only see the white wall behind me because I won't let you see the rest of it. (laughs) Um, And so you bring up such a good point though, because I have always found that, you know, these kinds of conversations of, wow, you struggle with so much anxiety with, with learning your, your role, you know, and that's sort of alternates with bouts of depression when you feel like, you know, those kinds of conversations happen so infrequently. And when they do happen with someone, you know, older in the profession, as you said, you know, they have so much to say about it. It's like, my God, they've been waiting for, you know, for decades to be able to talk about it. And and I, and I'm sure there are people listening who, who feel that way now, you know, hearing you be so open and vulnerable about it, vulnerable about it. So it's a hard word, you know, so, so how can we, it's a hard word, right? (laughs) So, so I mean, part of the main goal of CMRT, the organization and and these podcasts is we want to you know, facilitate more of those conversations because it is such a commonly shared experience that no one realizes is like the most commonly shared experience. I mean, what has your experience been, you know, having these conversations with people? What kind of reactions have you gotten? Um, I had a, a really good mezzo friend. Um, you were out at dinner during a gig and I was getting to the point where I knew I was going to need professional help. And Mm. 
because I knew I couldn't do it anymore on my own because I, I, it's just exhausting trying to deal with a chemical in your brain that is fighting against you all the time. Totally. Um, yeah. Ugh. And that's the problem. Like the problem with depression is you have this moment where I could feel my body changing. Like I could literally feel, oh no, I'm going back into a depressed state again. Um, and sometimes it wouldn't last, like sometimes it'd be a month, sometimes it'd be three months, you know, just depended. But, but like I always you feel that, that chemistry change in oh, your body. Heck yes. Um, and it could be little things like, um, not being able to enjoy like normal everyday things that I do, or, um, I would get so frustrated at little things that were minuscule and didn't matter. Um, I would, I would have a huge bout of an insomnia and I'd be staying up till like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and then sleeping till one or two. And mm. it, oh my God, traveling and trying to deal with that mess onto, oh my God, horrible. Wow. Insomnia on top of jet lag on top of, oh my, oof. So yeah, trying to get to rehearsal and being all smiley during those times, oh, it took so much energy. And then you'd be home at the end of the day of rehearsal. I wouldn't want to listen to anything. I would just like switch everything off and shut down. And I, after a while, I was like, yeah, this can't be normal. <laughs> like, this, wow. this is not how to live life. So, so yeah, I'd ask friends. Yeah. And so, and, and like how did those conversations go were people surprised did people you know were they wanting to open up about their own experiences oh totally everybody was like totally open because i i honestly think once i started to be honest with myself and talk to people about it about having these problems and um i think there was also part of the culture like we we're talking about mental health much more in the general like zeitgeist than we have in a a long time right so absolutely um i think that also helped but yeah every time i would tell a singer have you ever been depressed or dealt with you know are you on any medication or anything they're like oh yeah <laughs> like it, yeah. it's <laughs> way more common than people think and that was one of the main things i was worried about is being medicated would it affect me in a weird way like would i not be the same Tammy would it you know would it change how I sing and that kind of stuff so I'd, I would ask point blank um friends be like what do you if you do take something has it affected you like what has it done and like I was really inquisitive and then when it got to the point that I actually had to go see a doctor I went to um a psychiatrist because I wanted it to be much I knew at that point it was a medical situation and not so much a I'm sad sometimes so I need to talk it out situation like I knew like this and I got to my doctor my first appointment and I cried through the whole it was an hour and a half diagnostic thing and I cried through the whole thing because it was just a release to finally just be like I need help with this yeah. and and she's like okay I I came to like all the performancey bits of me that I talked about. And she's like, okay, now take me back to the beginning. And I was like, what do you mean the beginning? She's like, take me back to the beginning. <laughs> I was like, oh, you mean like of 
like my life and when I thought problems started. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, fourth grade. And then like from then on, I told her, I was like, I don't want to be on medication. I want to, you know, I don't want to take anything that would ruin what my livelihood is, you know? And she was like, you need to be on medication. I was like, okay. And so from then on, um, it was kind of just a, well, if that's going to make me get better, then hell yeah. So I took, I was on, on, still on Lexapro and is a inhibitor and basically it was 10 days of nausea and horribleness it was awful and then after that i felt like i felt more me than i'd ever felt you know once i started singing i felt back to like when i was happy in high school and you know i'd wake up in the morning to start the day and that had not I mean, that hadn't happened for like seven years. I never wanted to wake up. Um, and it it really, it's made so much of a difference. And I, I kicked myself because I could have been feeling like this so much longer ago. And I wish I wouldn't have been so stubborn and so afraid of what people would have thought so I can make myself feel better. Cause I, I thought like getting into it, like I thought I deserved to feel horrible because I, I didn't try hard enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't, you know, like any feelings that I would have had was my own fault. And it's, it's the same thing with like eating disorder. Like I, I would do the same thing where it's like, I would lose a lot of weight and feel good. And then I would like cheat a little and gain a little bit. And it'd be like, well, you messed up and you deserve to feel like this. You deserve to be unhappy. And uh, it it just like, I finally realized that my happiness isn't contingent on anything and I can be happy. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) You're making, you're going to make me cry over here. I'm trying um, not to because I put, <laughs> I put makeup on and I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> well, I, first of all, I am so happy for you that Thank you feel you. like that has made such a big positive change in your life. That is amazing. Um, I mean, I also, I'm, you know, I'm also on medication for my anxiety and that was a hard thing to come to terms with and something that I like put off for years, even though I probably shouldn't have. Um, you mentioned that, that, at a certain point, it became clear to you that you needed to get professional help. Uh, can you talk a little, a little more about that? I, I, you know, from talking to friends, you know, there's so many people in that position. Yeah. Uh, how did that become clear to you? I have been, when I've been in um, some major depressions, I have had suicidal hot thoughts my whole life. Like it's, it's not something that I thought. I just, again, I thought it was just normal. I thought it was just something I had to deal with um first time was around fourth grade and then seventh grade I don't really remember like at all I remember one thing in seventh grade and that was my first solo I sang have yourself a merry little Christmas at um the Christmas assembly for school and like that changed my entire like life like music became my 
a quote unquote anxiety drug, you know? Um, and then sophomore year of college was not really good. Like I would miss, I would miss early classes a lot because of the not being able to ever get actual sleep. Um, and then because I missed those classes, I would, uh, punish myself by being like, well, you miss those classes, so you're going to fail this class. Like that's, again, my brain is dumb. And, um, the end of my first year at HGO was bad. Um, I stopped eating at the end of the year, uh, for about a month and it was, it coincided right with a depressed state and I literally, like I was, I was suicidal at the end of that time. But again, like I pulled through it cause I would always be like, you know, I would never do that to my family. That was always the thing that would get me out of that kind of thing. And the, this past summer was the first time. Well, I, I would always think of my family, but then I would always think of like myself as well. You'd be like, Oh, you know, I have this to look forward to. I have that to do. Blah, blah, blah. And this past summer, not the summer, but summer before, um, it was the first time that I'd had those thoughts where I literally didn't care about me at all. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, this is too far. And I knew I had to go talk to somebody. And like, I got back from that summer and I had to do a gig and my family knew that I was not in a good way. So they like came with me to the gig and, uh, just like make sure that I was supported um and I'm not afraid to like talk about this because it's important um but yeah like that was the like I got home from that summer and I made an appointment immediately but it was like she didn't have an appointment window when I before I had to go to do my gig and so I had to wait during that gig and so we treated it as like a little mini vacation, which was good. I probably needed that. And then I got to that appointment and it literally was just like 20 years of release of feelings. And I walked out of that office feeling the best I'd ever felt in a long time. And... The other reason I got her is my, my doctor is because she uh, does video calls and all that kind of stuff. That was the other thing that prevented me from seeing somebody was just my job. Yeah. Like, I'm never, other than this year, I'm never home. So I needed somebody that, like, I could talk to, but, like, wasn't going to be like, a, oh, I'll find a random doctor in this city or I'll find a doctor. In this. Like, that wouldn't have worked for me. Um, so, but she did, she does like video calls and stuff. So that's great. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, wow. Uh, I've just been listening. I haven't even been thinking about what I was actually going to say. Um, in those, in those times when you were really struggling, for instance, at the end of your first year at HGO, you mentioned, you know, seventh grade, even all the way back to fourth grade. Um, you know, what, what kind of pressure did you feel, if any, 
to hide it? Uh, were there people that you felt you could open up to, or was it something that you really just sort of struggled with alone? I never told any of my friends during school, like ever. I don't think I ever talked about mental health back then. Um, we would have, we called them like the bedside chats in our family, which was like me, my mom, and my sister would like, one of us would be in bed crying and then we'd all talk about it and like suss it through. Um, so like I had a support system. It was just within my family, my core family, Mm -hmm. as far as anybody knew, uh, during school and stuff, I was the happiest person on the planet and nothing was ever wrong. Um, cause I was good at hiding it. Um, it's probably not good, but like that's, yeah. No, it, it, it becomes part of the game. You know, I think we, I, and I think most people who struggle with anxiety and depression, you know, from mild to severe have experienced that in some form. Yeah. Because I'm not going to lie, there was going to be a stigma somehow, like that you're broken or that you're somehow other. And I didn't want to deal with that because my my entire life as a bigger girl was trying to either A, be invisible or B, like blend in with people to like be like, I'm normal. I'm here too. Like that was my life to like safeguard my own feelings. Um, and there was no way I was going to like jump out of that to be like, (laughs) I have depression, you know, like there was just no way I was going to do that. Um, and again, the only way like I made it get sentences are fun. The only way I knew that it was going to get better was I got to the point where it got so, so bad, you know? Yeah. I I wish... I wish for everyone who's young and deals with this stuff that they just go talk to somebody. And I gave, like, I gave myself a ton of excuses. I, because when um, I first started working, I didn't have any health insurance because like a self-employed person who travels and is bigger is not going to get health insurance. So I didn't have health insurance until Obamacare came into effect. And in my head, spending money on something that I could work through myself eventually was pointless to me. I'm also very thrifty. So like it took a lot for me to spend money on mental health. Um, so like I give that excuse or, Ooh, the big one where aren't artists supposed to be like this? Don't they feel like, Oh my God, don't get me started. I know. I know. You must su- you must suffer for your art. You can only you can only be- make great art if you have suffered. What bullshit! Yeah, I know exactly, but like those are the lies we tell ourselves to. I don't know. Make it seem like we can power through something. Well, I think in a great to a gr- to a great degree, those are lies that people you know in past generations when when unfortunately. You know, people didn't feel able to to be open about their mental health. I think those are things that people told themselves to make it okay to feel the way they were feeling. Yeah. That this is, you know, this will make me a great artist, my feeling this way. Maybe it does sometimes, but I I, I think that contributes to a lot of, of 
totally avoidable suffering. I had the other thing too, where once I started having a certain amount of success, I was like, well, the reason that you, you aren't happy and that you aren't married with kids is because you, you sacrifice that to be doing this. And that there are other people who want to be doing this. And if you even so much as whine about anything about it, you're ungrateful. You're, you know, like. Absolutely. You know, you don't deserve, you don't deserve it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so funny from, you know, for a profession that values perfection so highly, you know, we, we identify so closely as musicians you know, our jobs and who we are. Like when you, when you're on stage singing, you know, you literally are your job. You are playing a, you are a human being on stage. That is your job. And it's so hard to remember that, that trying to be a perfect singer and trying to be a perfect person are different things. You know, we, 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 we so, highly value perfection as a singer or as a conductor or whatever, that it makes it feel like it's not okay to be an imperfect, normal human. And who is, who is that way? Nobody is. That's the other thing you learn when you start getting into the weeds. You're like, wait, if everybody else feels this way, why am I worried about talking about it? (laughs) Exactly. If nobody else is perfect, why do I have to be? (laughs) Well, um, well, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so, so much for taking the time and especially for being as honest and open about such, you know, meaningful personal things as you have. So thank you, Tammy. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you for letting me, you know, come on this. this I, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing and very necessary. And it just needs to stop being taboo so that we can all, you know, do what we do best and make you know, other people suffering less by making music. Could not agree more. Okay. Thanks, Tammy. 